from a sister church of yours in Kentucky. Uh, I can tell you right now there are people in the Bluegrass State who are praying for you, um, praying for this night. And um, man, we believe in the work God is doing here. Um, and I know firsthand because uh, from the ground level, um, we, we've always known God was going to do a great work because He's faithful to His promises and His people. But uh, man, just know that that um, if ever you're looking for an outside perspective uh, of people to encourage you, our church has seen what the ring is doing and, and we believe a good work has begun. And We know His Word says that the work He begins, He'll carry to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So um, anyway, it's good to be with you tonight. Uh, Josh has asked me to talk about um, corporate worship. or That's kind of like where we landed. I don't know if, uh, as we had a discussion, this is kind of what happened. Um, but we're going to talk about corporate worship tonight, and we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, well, I guess I'll just give you the definition I'm going to be using. This is kind of what I'm going to be teaching through um, using this passage. Uh, I know this church well enough to know that you have been taught about worship, uh, and you've, you've learned through the, both the teaching of the Word and, and the doing of worship. And, and one common definition we hear when it comes to worship is worship is our response to God for who He is and for what He's done. Um, tonight, I'm going to give you a different definition, a definition really of what it means to worship corporately or worship together as the body of Christ. The definition I want to give you is this. Corporate worship is working together to tell and do the story of God. I don't know if you've ever heard a definition like that one. Um, I'll, I'll say it again. Corporate worship is working together to tell and do the story of God. Our passage tonight comes from Philippians. This is a, a letter, of course, that Paul wrote. And he wrote this uh, passage, and he's kind of um, you know, offering teachings and, and of course, uh, teaching the gospel in its full form to these different churches. And... Um, in the middle of this uh, letter, he breaks into what we have, um, what a lot of people call one of the earliest hymns of the church. It's called a Christ hymn. There's a couple of them in the New Testament. Um, depending on which translation you have, sometimes it's even marked out like it's poetry as opposed to just you know, prose, like writing. Um, but we're going to start in verse uh, 5 of chapter 2. We're going to read through uh, verse 13. So if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here's where the hymn starts. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that's where the hymn ends. And he goes on to say this, Therefore, or because of that, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will 
and to work for his good pleasure. Um, there's, there's so much in this passage, and uh, I don't, I'm not even going to pretend that I'm going to be able to unpack it all uh, in a lot of sittings, let alone one. But tonight as we talk about corporate worship, the first thing as we work with this definition of, of working together to tell and to do the story of God, the point we need to start is with the story of God. Um, I grew up hearing a portion of the story of God, or hearing different parts of the story of God. Um, but it wasn't until I was really in college where I started to connect all these dots and realized that when we read Scripture, um, while there are things, principles for life in it, while they are, um, I guess, remedies for situations where there's wisdom, uh, where there's insight, the real point of Scripture is to give us the story of God. It's the story of God from the beginning to the end. Um, we know where it started, and we know where it's headed. And we know um, that in the midst of it is where we find ourselves. And, and there's, um, there was a quote that Donald Miller, who's a, an author, who wrote uh, Blue Like Jazz, and wrote another book, and this quote's from this book called Searching for God Knows What. Um, in this book, he, he makes a statement where he says, uh, the biggest lie I was ever told in my life was that life is a story about me. You see, Donald Miller in this book begins to explore the beginning of God's story. And when we look at God's story, um, some really neat things can happen. Uh, And Paul here, as he is giving instruction, it's, it's an interesting move for him to stop um, his teaching, or not really, but to, to stop in the middle of his letter and to write out a hymn, a, a liturgy, a, a, a passage that the church had been singing and using to help them remember and know the story of God. And it's in the middle of a passage where he's, he's talking about, you know, uh, being like-minded, uh, having joy, uh, having the same love, being in full accord. Uh, he's talking about humility. He's try, basically teaching that how to live. And he stops and he says, wait, here's, here's a picture of the story of God. Have this in you because it's yours in Christ Jesus. It's a weird move. And, and I want to kind of talk to you as we start thinking, if, if corporate worship is about the story of God, then we have to understand the story of God um, for this gathering to really start to make sense. Like, otherwise, we're getting together to pat each other on the back and to you know, make sure that um, uh, we have friends and we're connecting with people. But, but like, if, the, if the story of God is not central to what we're doing, we almost miss the point. Um, Paul here, he starts walking through this, um, and he kind of starts telling the story to these people, to the people of Philippi, to help them connect in. And he starts with a couple simple statements. Christ, verse 5, uh, or verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He starts off, uh, in a lot of ways, at the beginning of the story. Christ is God. Uh, we know that um, if you read scriptures, there's two in the beginnings. There's the in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, 
And then in John, there's in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, even before we were created, there was a God who is um, in relationship. He's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, one author that I read a lot describes uh, God as if he had two hands, his hands would be Christ and the Holy Spirit. That is how he works on the earth. And then through the story and the history of God, we see this God who, um, from the beginning, creates out of a relationship, out of love. And when we start with the story of Christ and when we think about Christ, we have to start thinking of Christ not from the birth, but from the beginning. Because if we don't see Christ as creator as being in everything and through everything and, and everything being for him, um, our picture is not complete. He goes on. He says he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. The second part of the story is Christ as man. Christ stepping out of heaven and becoming the incarnate baby was what we celebrated in Advent, the coming of Christ. And this is a big deal. Uh, we're going to get to that in a little bit, but um, as we walk through the story, uh, the second big part of the story and the actions of God is that God, seeing man's need, stepped out of heaven and became man. The third part, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ is the Savior. This is probably the part of the story that I've heard the most in my lifetime in church. Um, because this is the point where we are introduced to the power of the gospel, the reality of the story, that we are sinners, that we are a people who have fallen short, and we are a people in need of rescue. And not just rescue from our sins, but rescue from ourself, from our, from our very nature. And so we see a God who creates us and a God who steps into the world to redeem us, then offering His life to reconnect with us. Uh, the next part, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Um, we, we see here Christ going from Christ the Savior to Christ the Victor, Christ the, uh, the King, the Ruler, the, uh, the Redeemer, the Champion. He's gone from someone who has laid down his life to someone who's being exalted, um, to someone who's being lifted up. It says that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that brings around the last part of the story, which is Christ um, the King, Christ reigning forever. The point where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess is, is something we look to. Because as believers, we know that Christ, He died and He rose again. And He made a promise and He gave us His Spirit as a sign for that promise that He would come again to restore and to make all things new, that, that pain and death would cease when He comes and reigns here forever. 
the kingdom of heaven will come to earth. Um, This is the story of God, and this is a really interesting move for Paul to make in the middle of people who are looking for instruction. He says, you know what? Talking about love, we're going to talk about unity. You know what? Here's the story of God. Look at this. Why would Paul do that? Well, I think it's important to realize first that um, if if we're not living out of a greater story, we will end up living a lesser story. Um, Our lives are designed from the beginning as part of the nature of being a creation to be in union with God. And when we tell the story of God, it puts this framework around reality that puts everything in perspective. It puts um, my reality into God's reality, to help me begin to see things clearly. I mean, um, part of the reason we preach the gospel is that we believe that people are separated from God and they need to be reconciled to Him. But not only that, when we preach the large story of God and when we come together to celebrate that, we're saying that God who created the world created us in His image for Him to know Him and to live in union with Him And even though we had sinned, and even though our very nature was cursed through the acts of Adam, because of Jesus Christ, our sins have been canceled and erased. The price has been paid. He has redeemed us, and He's offered us new life and can make us new creations through Him. And not only that, because the story doesn't end there, but the story goes on to say, when we respond to Jesus, we become a part of, of His kingdom. And that Jesus is at work today. Because if He wasn't at work today, we wouldn't have a prayer station in the back. We probably wouldn't come here and sing a bunch of songs. If Jesus came and did His thing, it was like, alright, I did my part, now pull it together. I'm going to come back, don't mess it up too much. No, He's living and active. He's given His Spirit to empower us. And God does for us what we could not do ourselves. He brings us back into union with Him, and He creates for us a purpose. And that is seeing lives, people, restored, renewed, reconciled to Him, and things brought until all things are made new. Matter of fact, He gives us a role in this. Uh, When we talk about um, corporate worship, one of the big things that we do is we proclaim this story. We proclaim it because... The way we're called to live fits within the story. Matter of fact, you can make decisions in life if you know the story of God and how you fit into it. Things start to make sense. You see a homeless person. What am I supposed to do? What's the story of God? It's about reconciling and making people new. It's about the church being a body full of new creations who are being made new all the time and looking out into their world to be messengers and pictures of this reconciliation and going out and and, and enabling the world to become a better picture of what God created it to be until He comes and restores it all. We tell this story because if we don't, we lose sight and we lose a great 
deal of, of, of our own purpose in all of this. Um, so when it comes to corporate worship, um, one of the things that you have to commit to be about when we come together is telling the story. Matter of fact, that's why we like to hear testimonies so much uh, in church. Uh, testimony, oftentimes, if we're doing this in the context of the big picture of God, it, it's me saying... Um, it's not the Bible over here and us over here and us like going over to this and saying, let me find something I can use in my life. But it's people saying, that's the story of God and that is my story. And the fact that God has done these things and is going to do these things and here today is doing things, that means the story of God is something that I'm standing in. Like my reality is the story of God. And we start moving away from the lie that Donald Miller mentioned about life being about me, and we start to say, well, I have a story, but my story fits in the story of God. And to be honest, when I met Jesus Christ, I, didn't, I lost my right to have say this is my story. Now it's our story, but our story is about him and not about me. And as I testify, I say, you know, our story, which is really his story, is this awesome story about God taking and doing something that I could never do, and restoring me, and changing me, and taking my family, and restoring my family, and taking my church, and rebuilding out of a bunch of useless nothings, and taking us, and fitting us into the image of God to be a picture for this world of an amazing God whose glory can be blinding if we simply allow the story to conform and to transform our lives. Like This thing can become... Huge. And we tell the story because we need it. We need the story of God. When we come in and we sing, Beautiful Savior, the, the reason those, like that song, there are a couple songs we're doing tonight that I like either like get misty or just straight up snot during if, you know, if I'm singing them. Because like there's, when I sing that story about God, it is so deeply core to my reality. And not because that's the way I see things, because that's the way it is. Like, we don't read, read the Bible because we think it's true. We read the Bible because it's true. And we look at this, and we say, this, this is my story. The story of Jesus is my story, you know? And, and we sing, beautiful Savior, wonderful Counselor. And we begin to see these things, and it becomes real. And as we testify this story to one another, and saying, you know what, that was real, and we remember, because we look back and we look from God being creator, through God saving his people, God redeeming his people. We look at the, the life of Israel and the Exodus and all these things. It's archetypes that God is using to show us a picture of him loving his own to the point where he would do what they could not do and step into their story, fully God, fully man, to redeem them and to restore them and to renew them. This becomes a story that breathes life into us. And so when we worship corporately, if we're coming for therapy, if we're coming for principles for life, if we're coming um, for anything other than because we believe that the Bible, the scriptures of God, the story of God, is the reality that I live in now. And in order, in, in order to understand how I'm called to live, I have to submerge myself in the story of God. Then we're missing it. Because while God does heal, while He does give answers, while He does do all of these things, it's not about us. It's about His story. 
And we have to come together and proclaim that our story as the church is his story and begin to tell that so that people can frame their reality into the reality of God, which is what we're living in whether we see it or not. But corporate worship is not just the telling of the story of God. It's the doing of the story of God. And let me frame this right back into what Paul is doing. You know, he says um, in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And, and afterwards he says, Therefore, you know, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, this story always is going to have a direct connection with us and the way we act and the way we live. And, and part of this thing is, like we see he says, this, this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. We see, hear him say, you know, work out your salvation for God's within you to work. These are two like, phrases that point to a union. And this union is core to the gospel. It's what we teach about from the beginning. Adam sinning and breaking that relationship with God, that union with God that man was designed to have. And then through Jesus Christ, that being restored. And we find, through the story of God, a pattern for life um, that teaches us about living in union with God. And what our life is to look like because we have been brought in and connected and are living in view of Him returning fully. Um, and I'm going to kind of flash through some scriptures. They're going to be up here, and I'm not going to turn to them real fast because I don't have, like, Bible drill skills anymore. Um, uh, like, we're, we're joined with Christ. We're the, called the body of Christ. Um, the, and a lot of this we have to realize, and, and kind of what we sang in that first song, and because he's love, we are love because we're united with him. Like, that's, that's part of our nature, part of our calling and as we look at the story of God, I mean, if Christ is one with God, then we are one with God. And this is Colossians, uh, verse 3, it says, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, if, if Christ became man, then we are one in his, um, basically in his incarnational ministry. And that, that's a big word, but it basically means Jesus did not... Um, abstain from getting his hands dirty. Instead, um, it says that he didn't consider his equality with God something to be grasped, but he became nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born um, as a man. Um, this is a picture of, of him saying, um, I'm willing to do whatever it takes and to become um, whatever it takes to reconnect people with the Father. And uh, we are called to a ministry that is uh, incarnate like that, that is tangible. God became tangible for us. This passage is, um, oh gosh, First Peter uh, 2. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. See, what we have here is God calling us and setting us apart um, for a purpose. And that purpose, in so many ways, is to embody the person of Jesus. You know, uh, we, Josh did a wedding yesterday for, for Brandon and Kate. And, and I, love, I love weddings and I love um, the language of, of weddings because the picture of marriage is one of the big pictures that God gives us to help us understand what it means to be in union with Him. And um, Josh said this yesterday to, to Brandon that if Kate's ever going to have a picture of what Jesus is to be like on this earth, it's going to be in him, in her husband. That's his calling as a believer and as a husband. And um, that's, what, that's a picture of incarnational ministry. Basically, he becomes the picture of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that Brandon, you know, I don't think Brandon has what it takes to be Jesus. That's why Jesus put the Holy Spirit inside of him, so that when Brandon yields his life to Jesus, that Jesus comes out. You know, none of us have what it takes. You know, the only person that ever lived the Christian life was Jesus, and that's why he gave us his son and put his son in us so that we could live in a way that we couldn't without him. It's this weird thing, but that's the way union works. Um, he's called us to be incarnational. If, if Christ is the Savior, if Christ's life was one that led him to humility and death, then guess what? Our lives lead us to humility and death in order to reconcile people to God. If our world is going to connect, and if we're going to stay living in a vital connection, the path to that is always going to be through death. Um, Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me uh, this is not um, of course meaning that you need to repeatedly kill yourself over and over for the rest of your life but that would be way too uh, literal and would be sad <laughs> we would not have much of a church um, what this is a picture of when you see Jesus in the garden, um, the garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, uh, this is a, it, it's an interesting place that he finds. Like, it, it's not by coincidence that he goes to a garden. Um, Adam was in a garden when he had a choice to make. Adam was in the garden when he had the choice to choose life or to choose his own way. And uh, Jesus is often referred to as the second Adam, in a lot of ways, a lot of reasons, uh, one of the big ones being that through the choice that Jesus made in the garden, a new humankind was enabled. And basically, when we talk about how we can become new creations in Christ Jesus, you literally become what you were not when you believe in Jesus. Because we fall under a different lineage, the lineage of, of Christ. And um, what you see is Jesus humbling himself before his, his choices, and like we sang in that song deeper, uh, bowing his knee and bowing his will, and saying, Father, not what I desire, but what you desire. Thy will be done. Um, if we are doing the story of God, we are a church of humility, obedience, and ultimately death to our own will, and choosing the will of God. 
And of course, the next part of the story is resurrection, is him being exalted. Christ the Redeemer, Christ the Victor. And uh, we're all down with, with this part. I mean, I personally, when I came to faith, was uh, sick of the power of sin in my life. So it was good news to hear that Jesus had broken the power of sin and death. This is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Um, it says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, uh, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this is good, good news. Uh, you should read that and be like, yee! Um, little one. No, you can make big ones. But uh, this, is, this is a part of the story that... that um, is, is amazing and that we, and a lot of times, are drawn to. Uh, there is a relationship between death and life in our walk. And, uh, you know, the places we are not experiencing resurrection life, new and abundant living in our life, is probably places where we've not experienced death. Death to our own will. And you know, yielding to say, Thy will be done. But if we are one with Christ then the doing of his story is going to be the doing of death and the doing of life. The, doing, the waiting to receive the life that Jesus has promised. Meaning, if you're not abundant living, you're not doing the story. That's just a bottom line thing. If you're going to be incarnate, the picture of Jesus to this world, you're going to be someone who's laying their life down and someone who's living abundantly through the life that God has given and the last thing is Christ reigning. Christ is king. If we are one with him in his reign, that means that everything that happens from this point in our life onward is moving towards that. We begin to live a, a kingdom life. And um, this is... Uh, oh, that's really loud. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It says, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Um, I don't know if you've clued into this, but the story of God is about not only you being made new and restored and transformed through your life, but the body being renewed and restored and transformed and the world being renewed and restored and transformed until we fit the picture of what we see in Eden. I mean, heaven will be like Eden part duh, you know. Um, I always like, I don't know, that was bad. Um, but it's always going to be a picture of that, you know. Like we become people who are justice-minded because Christ when he comes, is going to eliminate all justice and in his all injustice, and in his kingdom, injustice cannot stand. Which means we become people who move to see social injustices done away with. We become green people because you know what? God cares about creation. If he didn't, he wouldn't have become a man to make sure that all of it can be restored and brought everything in heaven and under earth back to himself. I'm not telling you to go, you know, rent that Al Gore movie, but I am saying it matters to the Father. 
And you know what? If we are being and doing the story of God, it matters to us. And ultimately, we live in a place where we tell the story and then we do by becoming the story of God. And this is this last part. I don't know if you know this, um, at least the last part of the definition, the working together part to tell and do God's story. Um, The word worship in uh, the Hebrew comes from a word, uh, of course, all of you who know Hebrew will laugh at my pronunciation of it. It's uh, Avoda, A-V-O-D-A-H. That's one of the roots of this. Uh, It's the same word as the word work. Worship and work are the same thing in the Hebrew language. Uh, it It literally comes from the word that you get to work the soil. Interesting, again, with the garden thing, that God, um, when it comes to worshiping God, it literally means to, to work the soil. Um, in, the, uh, in the Greek, we get to a word, uh, uh, liturgia, which basically, um, when we read up in the verse uh, Romans 12:1, it says, therefore, uh, by the, the, in view of God's mercies, uh, let's see, is it up there? I don't want to butcher it. Um, uh Oh, I skipped one. We'll come back to that one. Yeah, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That, that thing, your spiritual worship, is the word liturgia. It is a civic word that, that basically means it is your work or duty. When we talk about worship, we are talking about work. And it's not that uh, you necessarily have to work to like, have a good voice or like, clap louder, you know, like raise your hands higher, you know get a cramp in your shoulders or something. Um, The work of worship is the work of offering ourselves to the process that we see in the story of God. It's really the work of offering ourselves to to Christ and and humbling ourselves before Him and being obedient to the point of death and, and waiting to receive life in the areas that we need it so that we can be a part of restoring our world. Because we are one with Christ, and our life has to carry this picture. When Paul, in, back to uh, Philippians, in verses 12 and 13, when he says, To work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, he kind of gives us this nutshell-like secret, is that the working out of your salvation is going to be a humbling, tough work. Fear and trembling does not sound like a day at the park. You know what? Dying to yourself, submitting yourself to the will of God, and waiting for Him to give you life and empower you through His Spirit to be a restoring, reconciling agent of His kingdom on this earth is a work. And it's a work of the will. There's no part of my faith and the way I read the story of God It says Jesus didn't have a choice to make when he's in the garden. He had to say, God, I know what you're asking. (laughs) Almost like, I don't want it, but I know what it's going to do. Because I want to see this world reconciled to you, not my will but yours be done. The humbling of ourselves, the doing of the story is, is the work of worship. And that's why we do this together. We're part of a body. We've been made one with Christ and we've been made one with, with one another. And kind of as we, we, we close this out, you have to start thinking, you're in this community 
to work out the working in that God's doing in your life. I mean, it says that the secret is we're working our salvation. He's working within us to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's this, this amazing, mysterious relationship where we come before God and we literally immerse ourselves in his story to say, God, over and over, I want to offer my life to you. Over and over, like I said in Romans 12, um, I'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice. I'm going to lay my life down like you did. And I'm going to humble myself like you did and say, God, I want to be obedient. I want to say yes to what you have like you did. And I will literally die to myself if you will bring the life on the other side that will restore this world, that will restore my church, that will restore my family, that will restore anyone who's willing to come to you and say yes. If my life can be a part of that, then I offer myself. I give myself. And together, as we start to do this, you start to see people who are encouraging each other, who are framing other people's lives. They start to see, you start telling me a story about your life. I'm like, dude, that's a picture of the story of God. Because God is a rescuing God. He's a redeeming God. He's a saving God. He's a God of death. He's a God who's going to require us to offer ourselves. And we can encourage each other to offer our lives to Him because we know the story and we know what happens. We know how it begins and we know how it ends with Christ's triumph. And we're going to start spurring each other into a life of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We're going to continue to just sing some songs, and these are going to be songs in which we um, just really try to situate ourselves in the story of God. I hope that as you've heard some of this, you've been encouraged. Um, Because when you really look at the big picture of things, you see God um, caring, loving, to the point that He went so far to make sure that what we could not accomplish could be done, that we could be with Him, be united with Him, and live a life that really reconciles the world through what we say, proclaim, and what we do. Connect them back to the story of God and to the God of the story. It's Him who we worship. And when we come together, um, we really can start to embody a picture that's worth seeing. Um, Let's pray. And we're just going to continue. Um, in worship. Father, uh, tonight, um, God, is about you. It, it really, I mean, it, it all is, whether we see it or not. But God, I pray, just in this time, um, that we can humble our hearts before you. That, um, God, even now, as we reflect and we sing of your story, that um, you would show us how, how our lives fit into that, God that your spirit would highlight in us the areas that you want to put your hands on. God, the areas of our life that need to be immersed into your life. Lord, the areas of us that need to, to experience your death. The areas of our lives that you want to bring to life and that you want to use 
to reconcile and restore the earth around us. Um, God, you know what those things are, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you quicken our hearts to obedience tonight. But even more than that, Lord, I pray in this church that our vision and heart for your story and your kingdom here would just become so intoxicatingly overwhelming. God, that we begin to literally see every aspect of our life together as the place where a picture of you could shine, where your glory can be manifested, where we can embody the Christ who gave himself to us, who became sin for us, who made us new so that we could uh, just proclaim your excellencies, the glory of your story to this world. Um, thanks for, for everything, God, including just any, any revelation you've given us to just see your, you and who you are and what you've done. Um, as we sing, God, be honored and glorified in our hearts um, and by the words of our mouth, Lord. Um, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.